turn in your Bibles to the book of Ephesians. That's where we're going to camp out this evening. The last opportunity I had to teach was, uh, I guess it was a couple of months ago. And I say that because I don't remember the date. Uh, I say that based on um, the last time I changed my PowerPoint presentation. And that was two months ago until I worked on the one for today. And let's see, what are we going to do? All right. So um, I opened up last time and uh, with an introduction and a, and a fairly detailed walk through what Ephesians is all about. I uh, spent some time talking about the household code with um, uh, husband and wife, and uh, we dealt with that this evening. We're going to pick up for the other two parts of the household code, uh, that dealing with uh, parents and children, and the last one, uh, slaves and masters. And we will uh, finish that up. So, But we, uh, we can't do anything without uh, seeking the will of the Father before we, before we get involved into it. And so let's go before the throne of grace now and uh, pray to prepare our hearts for what we're doing here for the next hour or so. Father, we love you and we thank you for your grace. We thank you for this opportunity to fellowship together with you on your terms and with one another in your word. We pray that the truth of the word goes forward, Father, that uh, no one is harmed by any false information coming from the pulpit of, of this church. Uh, we pray for uh, understanding the leading of the Holy Spirit as we uh, look into the word together this evening, Father, and that you would be glorified uh, in, uh, in what we do this evening. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. So I use the word, I use the term household codes, household codes. What are they? Well, uh, the name is in the name, and there are codes by which households operate in a given culture. We have in our Bibles uh, wording about the household code in Ephesians uh, 5, 22 through chapter 6 and verse 9, and we've got the identical codes in a much shortened version in Colossians 3.18 through 4.1. And then we have similar information, their household code related, but the emphasis in different areas and uh, they're not total as we find in Ephesians and Colossians. And that would be in 1 Peter 2.18 through 3.7. In 1 Timothy 2. 8 through 15, and again in 6, 1 through 10, and lastly in Titus 2, 1 through 10. Yeah, I don't want to do that. I think what we'll do is we'll jump into uh, uh, a high-level outline. We'll just do a little bit of review, not as much as we did last time because it's just been a couple of months, 
and it hasn't changed, but we'll look briefly at where we are because we have to establish the context for what we're going to talk about, and, uh, and I'll try my best to do that now. So a high-level outline of Ephesians, you've got the letter opening, and that's a typical Pauline thing where he, uh, he introduces himself uh, as an apostle uh, and uh, sends a greeting uh, from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, and uh, uh, he t- states who he is speaking to, and in this case, it's the uh, saints at Ephesus, and, uh, and uh, wishes or uh, sends a grace and peace offering uh, to them. And uh, then there are similar words in the closing, uh, in always in having something to do with grace and peace. So we have the letter opening, and that's just two verses at the beginning. And then about half the book, I call it uh, the indicatives. It's uh, uh, Ephesians 1, 3 through 3, uh, 21, and uh, there is just a wealth of information in here. Uh, in, uh, uh, in Ephesians 1, 3 through 14, we find, as I'm sure you all are aware, the longest sentence, Greek sentence, uh, in the uh, New Testament Bible. It runs for 14 verses from verse 3 through 14. Now, in our English Bibles, it's not that way. It's broken up into several different sentences, but in the Greek, that is all one sentence. And that is a wonderful passage uh, to, uh, if one wants to just uh, meditate for a bit on the Word of God, uh, to think about some of the blessings that we have and why we should praise our God, to sit and just slowly read to yourself through those 14 verses uh, you could uh, you could pray them back to God. Uh, they're all about the wonderful things, why God is worthy of praise uh, because of all the blessings he has bestowed on us and why did he bestow blessings on us was that he wanted us to be his blameless and, and holy. Uh, and uh, uh, it is just a wonderful passage of what we have and the blessings that we have in Christ. And then the second half of that verse is uh, I don't want to go there. It's all right. The second half of that verse, the second half of that uh, of that uh, first chapter is is almost as long, and it's a prayer uh, by Paul of of things that he would wish for the church. And, uh, and then we go into chapter 2. Chapter 2 starts with, uh, uh, we were dead in our trespasses and sins, uh, and it ends with uh, uh, blessings and, uh, in, uh, in our work, in our position in Christ. Uh, chapter 3 uh, is uh, a message of Paul's growth. And then we get into 4 through 6, and that is the what we call the imperatives here. It starts off with... Uh, Paul saying, I implore you, or I request that you would walk in a manner worthy of your calling, worthy of your calling, and the calling is the first three chapters of the book of Galatians, and then it goes on with uh, Christian growth, the rest of chapter 4, into chapter 5, uh, blessings, uh, the uh, things we're familiar with in chapter 5, uh, five fifteen through 17, to be careful how you walk. Uh, and the uh, the uh, exhortation to be not drunk with wine, but to be filled with the Spirit. 
with the results uh, that follow. And then, starting in 522, we get into the uh, we get into the household codes, and so uh, that's the way it'll roll. Uh, and then the letter closing, I've mentioned that. So let's look at an outline. Okay, a little more detail. So in, in Ephesians 1 through 3, uh, Paul uh, prays for them and focuses on the relationship of believers with God and fellow believers, particularly Jewish and Gentile believers who are a new entity. And we've said uh, what he does in chapter 4 through 6. So let me get down here a little bit. I mentioned what was going on in one uh, in one uh, three through fourteen, and then in fifteen through twenty-three, he prays for uh, thanksgiving uh, for the Ephesians' faith and love. He asks God to give them a spirit of wisdom and revelation that they will know uh, God's great grace, the hope of His calling, the riches of His glorious inheritance, and the immeasurable greatness of power that raised Christ from the dead and Christ's power that seated Christ at God's right hand, and power that subjected all things under Christ's feet. And that's all in that prayer of Paul in the latter part of uh, chapter 1. And then uh, in Ephesians, two, uh, 1 through 10, uh, he starts off, as I said, in, in, in 2 1, we were dead in our trespasses and sins, and then we're made in 2 uh, 10, we're made alive together in Christ, for we were his workmanship in Christ Jesus, created for good works that he prepared in the past that we might walk in them, is, is chapter 2, verse 10. Then he tells them in the latter half of chapter 2 to remember your past and your present. Uh, remember your past situation, your present status. You were far from Christ. You've been brought near. Uh, you, the Jews and Gentiles have been made into one. Uh, the, the dividing wall between the Jews and the Gentiles has been broken down. The, 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 the law has been abolished, and we now have a new status in Christ. We are citizens in God's kingdom, member of Annette's kingdom, not what we're talking about today, members of God's household and part of God's holy temple. Then in chapter 3, uh, he uh, gives a stewardship and a service of God's um, mystery. If we, uh, let's just look at that. Chapter 3, uh, and I'll, uh, it's... Uh, 20 verses, I'll just read through it quickly. For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace which was given to me for you, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery, as I wrote before in brief. By referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. To be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel, of which I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me according to the working of his power. To me, 
the very least of all saints, his grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery which has for ages been hidden in God who created all things so that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. Therefore I ask you not to lose heart in my tribulations on your behalf. They are for your glory. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God and now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power which works within him to him be the glory in the church in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. And then in verse 4, in chapter 4, he uh, he says, I, Paul, a prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So the calling to which you, all the first three chapters of Ephesians uh, has the, uh, uh, the, uh, the essence of the calling. And now he says, I want you to walk in a manner worthy of that calling with which you've been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all who is over all and through all and in all. And then he goes on to talk about the, uh, uh, the giving of gifts for the building up of the body of Christ, which is the church, uh, to, uh, to the end result of being a, a, mature, uh, a mature mass uh, as a result that we were no longer we would no longer be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men by craftiness and deceitful scheming but speaking the truth in love we are to grow up in all aspects to him who is the head even Christ from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them because of the hardness of their hearts. They, having become calloused, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity and greediness. But you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught him just as truth is in Jesus, that reference to your former manner, former manner of your life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, 
which is the likeness of God has been which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness and truth. Walking in unity, walking in maturity, walking as the renewed self, walking in love. And walking as children of light, we get into chapter 5. He says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ has loved you and gave himself up for us an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. And walking carefully, we get over to chapter uh, 5, verse 15. uh, And he says... um, Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And then we get to uh, where we want to go here. Uh, 517. Excuse me, that was 517. Uh, 518, do not get drunk with wine, For that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking with the results that you speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. And then we have applications the so-called household codes, and we had three parts in that, husbands and wives, and we talked about that a couple of months ago. There were 11 or so verses there, and uh, I think uh, three uh, of those was to wives and eight was to husbands. The wife was addressed first and then the husbands. And now with this evening, we're going to talk about uh, children and parents in 6, 1 through 4, and slaves and masters in 6, 5 through 9. And uh, we'll see, uh, yeah, we can do that. And then we have the closing, which we will not get to tonight, 6, 10 through 20, and then the letter closing, peace and grace to you all. So the household code continued. So we start off 6, 1 through 4. We'll just look, read this all together. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you and you may live long on earth. And then fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and at, in instruction of the Lord. So we see here we got, well, let's, if we looked at that only in the Greek, you'd have 35 words in Greek for the uh, Uh, children and 16 words in Greek for the fathers. We don't need to do that. Uh, This is not a Greek class. Uh, Now, I'm going to show you some Greek, but uh, please don't be put off by it. I I show you the Greek because the scripture was written in Greek, and and, and I've laid it out. Now, this is 6-1. The purple is the subject the red is the verb, and in this case, it's an imperative. And then the green is either, depending upon the type of verb we have, it's either the complement or a pregnant, pregnant, predicate, nominative, or a direct object if, if it is a transit. 
verb. And then the yellow is, um, it can be the reason, it can be an expansion or anything else. So what you see here, uh, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. That's simple Greek there. It is, um, the, the imperative is obey parents. Uh, the reason is for it is right. And that's simple Greek. That's exactly what it says. There's no nuance to that at all. And the motivation, the motivation for that is, uh, is an Old Testament command. And we can see that in the, uh, in the next verse in 6.2, uh, where he says, uh, Tima, honor your father and mother, and then there's a parenthetical stuck in there by Paul. Uh, it's which is, in fact, the first commandment with a promise. And um, so he's still addressing the children here. He's told them to obey their mother and father, their parents, and he's told them to honor their mother and father. And this is a quote from the Old Testament. And, he, and Paul has added the parenthetical here. Uh, in the middle of the quote shown here in the parenthesis. Now, the quote is most likely from uh, the Septuagint of Exodus 20.12. The clause, uh, which we'll see in the next slide, uh, that it it may be well with you, uh, which we read previously, is not in the Masoretic text of Exodus 20.12, but it is contained in the Septuagint. And that Paul would quote from the Septuagint is, uh, as opposed to the Hebrew text, is reasonable since he and his uh, contemporaries were all Greek speakers. uh, And after all, the Septuagint is a third century B.C. Greek translation of the Hebrew. And in the world that he's in, almost everybody spoke Greek, but not everybody spoke Hebrew. And so it makes sense that he might quote from the Septuagint. Um, He adds his comment pointing out this command, uh, the fifth of the Ten Commandments or the Ten Words, was in fact the very first one to contain a, uh, a specific promise. And Paul rounds out, he rounds out the motivation statement uh, for obeying and honoring by continuing with the Old Testament quote, And it it reads, it translates, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. And uh, uh, actually, that is a smoothed out English, uh, which I'm sure you appreciate because what the Greek actually is, is uh, it reads is, in order that well to you it may be, Kai uh, Kai is and, uh, you will be long lived upon the earth. Uh, so the smoothing out is as it's written there. And the uh, capitalize is that it is an Old Testament quote. Um, anything we need to say about that? I don't want this to be a Greek lesson. Just a note that I'm, you, you recall that the first four commandments were with respect to uh, man's relationship with God and commandments 5 through 10 of which this is the first where with, re, with respect to man's relationship with, with man. And again, this is the, uh, the first 
of those commands that has a specific promise related to it that uh, you would live well, you would live long on the earth. 6-4. So that's it for the kids. Uh, obey your parents, honor your father and your mother. Obey your parents because it's right, honor your father and your mother so that uh, which is the promise or which is the commandment with a promise so that it may be well with you and you would live long on earth. And this has nothing to do with eternal life. It's so that your life in this phase of existence can be long and you don't get prematurely cut off. And that takes care of the, that takes care of the kids. And then we get to the fathers. In uh, chapter 6, verse 4, he says, Fathers, uh, do not make angry uh, your children, but bring them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. So don't make them angry, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. So this, he's got a negative responsibility there. Don't provoke them to wrath. Uh, that verb, and I won't I won't read the Greek verb. We don't need to know that. It just uh, it uh, uh, is provoked to wrath or make angry. Uh, but some things about the culture we're talking about. And so this is first century Roman culture. And what do we have? Uh, what's the family like? Is it like what we have now? Yeah, you got mothers and fathers and children. And you've got grandpas and grandmas and aunts and uncles and all that stuff. But how about the culture itself? Is it like our early 21st century American woke culture? No. No. In the Roman family, in the Roman family, the father had absolute control over his son for the life of the son. So the son grows up, if he makes it to adulthood, he gets married and raises his own family. He is still under the control of his father as long as that father is living. Uh, what could the father do? He could imprison him. He could scourge him. He could shame and punish him. He could sell him into slavery up to three times. Or he could have him killed. So a father had more power over his son than a master had over his slaves. Think about that. So don't make him angry, but take care of him. Um, bring him up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Uh, education, uh, the, the Greek word uh, for uh, uh, what I've translated here, training, is uh, training and instruction. It's the word paideia. And the Greek word for uh, admonition is counsel, admonition, or correction. And so uh, the first one is the nurturing part of leading by positive example, showing the right things to do, uh, working in that regard. The second one is... Uh, the counseling part, uh, the correction part, uh, this is where corporal punishment would come in. It's correcting behaviors that are uh, 
not suitable to the well-being of the child in this environment. The training and admiration, ad, admiration, training and admonition of the children in this setting to the Christians, coming from Paul in this culture, is to be not law-centric, state-centric, political, government-centric. It's to be Christocentric. The training and admonition comes from the Lord, administered by the Father. So it is, uh, it is good. In that regard, that is, uh, I believe, what we have for the first part, 6, 1 through 4. Let's see what's next. Yeah, okay, now we'll talk about the Ephesians uh, and the masters and slaves. So let's read through. It's five verses now, 5 through 9. Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling in the sincerity of your heart as to Christ. That's a mouthful. Uh not by, and these are, these are manners, they go with the instruction to be obedient, not by way of eye service as men pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. With good will, render service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing, this is the motivation, that whatever good thing each one does, he will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. And then we finish off with one verse to the masters. Masters, do the same things to them and give up threatening, knowing that both their master and yours is in heaven and there's no partiality uh, with him. So, slaves, obey those who are your masters according to the flesh. And we could shorten that down uh, to probably two words. Slaves, obey, obey your earthly masters. How? With fear and trembling in the sincerity of your heart as to Christ. So not faking it, but sincerity of your heart as to Christ. This is a similar admonition that we told the children to obey their parents. The children were to obey their parents in the Lord. And back, if you recall, in, in 522, we're talking about the wife uh, submitting herself willingly to her husband as to the Lord. In all cases, it's doing this as you would to the Lord in each of these three cases. No different here with uh, slaves and masters. You, you might have noted throughout this, as we look at the third of the three pairs now with, uh, with the slaves and masters, that in each case, uh, the subordinate partner has been addressed first. So back in the beginning with, uh, with wives and husbands, the wife was addressed first to um, submit willingly to the husband, and then the husband was addressed. In children and parents, the children were addressed first to obey the parents, and then the parents were brought in. And then in the case of slaves and masters, the slaves are addressed first, and then uh, the, uh, the master is brought in. So the subordinate partner is addressed first, and each of those addressed is ultimately responsible. Uh, the imperative is stated uh, directly to the person. It's not a, it's not a narrative type thing where it, uh, where it says the slaves 
are to be obedient to their masters. No, it's you slaves, obey your masters. You children, obey your parents. You wives, submit to your husbands. Um, each of the persons, each person addressed, whether it is the subordinate person, the wife, the child, the slave, is ultimately answered both to the Lord and in the case of the husband, the fathers, mothers, and the owners, they also are ultimately answerable to the Lord. Um, the form is the same in all cases. The parties addressed, the imperative is stated, and then some motivation given, and we've seen that here. So, um, in this case, now Paul is addressing uh, believing slaves to obey their human masters. In all cases, we're addressing believers here. So when he's talking to wives, he's talking to believing wives. When he's talking to children, he's talking to believing children and slaves, believing slaves, uh, to obey, in the case of the slaves, their human masters, whether or not the master is a believer. So the person that's being addressed is a believer. Uh, and he is responsible whether or not the master, the father, the husband is a believer. And it says here in regard to the slaves with fear and trembling. And that, it means exactly what it says. Uh, to have a sense of uh, fear and foreboding, uh, possibly even with physical trembling, as to what may be the consequences of, of failure to obey. You know, when, uh, when, we, approach, when we approach our God... Uh, uh, we should have a sense of fear uh, and, and trembling when we do that. You think about that. Uh, he has the power to destroy our souls in a microsecond uh, and uh, uh, with his sovereignty. It, it would be no question about it. Uh, but he's good. Uh, and uh, we know things about him. And for that reason, we can trust him. Uh, but we cannot forget the power, the awesome power that he has in uh, being able to deal with uh, his creatures as he desires at any instant in time. Sincerity of the heart. Uh, so that modifies the verb. Uh, it doesn't have anything to do with the fear. So obey in the sincerity of your heart as to Christ, as you would to Christ, uh, who is the uh, ultimate master. Uh, and this parallels, uh, as I said, 522, where the wives are to be subject uh, to their husbands as to the Lord, where children are to obey their parents uh, in the Lord. Let's see what the next slide has to say here. Further of the manner in which it's to be done, says, not according to eye service as men pleasers, but as slaves of Christ doing the will of God uh, wholeheartedly. Um, they're to obey their earth, earthly masters as, um, uh, as they do their heavenly master and uh, uh, not according to eye service. So, well, that's a rare word. We're not going to get into Greek, so we'll, we'll pass that by. It only appears here, interestingly, and in the parallel passage in Colossians. Uh, and uh, 
it it has a connotation of of just an outward appearance without any dedication on the inside. Um, those of us that have been in the military uh, can, or in in a position of correction where there's sometimes a semi-adversarial environment, you can tell usually by watching someone whether their heart's in it or whether this is just um, what we used to call malicious compliance in some cases with uh, with doing the right thing, uh, but they would cut your throat in a heartbeat if they uh, if they thought they could get by with it. That's not what's supposed to be happening here. Uh, it's not just uh, uh, being a, uh, a syncophat. It, it is actually wanting to do this as under the Lord and uh, not just to please men. It, pleasing men is of no consequences. Pleasing God is of eternal consequence. Continuing, with good will, rendering service as to the Lord and not to men. Gives further amplification as the nature of the service. Um, so, just to recap verses 5 through 7, it deals with the imperative, what to do, the manner and attitude with which it's done. What to do is obey your masters, and then how it's with sincerity of heart as unto the Lord with goodwill and uh, rendering service to the Lord. So now, let's continue. So the reason, the reason that the slaves should do all this is, quote, knowing that whatever good each one does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. So this applies uh, this applies to each one who does goodwill with a sincere heart and the right attitude toward uh, service for the Lord. He will receive recompense back from the Lord, uh, whether he's a slave or whether a free person. Uh, so that's why slaves should obey masters with honest diligence and a positive attitude. Many of the masters won't care, and they would not necessarily reward such activity, but there's a broader perspective. Um, the, uh, the participle there, knowing, uh, relates back to the main verb, obey. You obey because they know that their master in heaven is going to reward them, not what's going to happen with the master. I mean, you could do the right thing with the master, and he could beat you anyway. Uh, that's, I mean, it's not okay. It's going to hurt. Uh, but knowing that you're doing the right thing before the Lord uh, gives you confidence that you will receive the uh, the reward back from the Lord. It's the same way Christ looked at the facing the punishment on the cross. He knows he knew uh, what the ultimate outcome of that was going to be, uh, and for that reason, uh, as it says, he endured the cross and despised the shame. Despised this this shame. Uh, takes care of that. So then we get to uh, the masters. Hoi kurioi, it's the same word as uh, kurios for, for Lord, but that word can also mean master. In this case, it is translated masters. And masters, 
do the same things to them. So everything we were telling them to do and the attitude they're to have, you do for them and stop threatening them. Knowing that both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. So the masters should exhibit the same integrity, dedication, and goodwill toward their slaves as they do to the Lord. The reason God judges both masters and slaves will be judged impartially for wrongdoing. If you do it wrong, you're going to be judged for it, and uh, that impartially. Um, So just a couple words now. The application. So the first, husbands and wives, that fits our modern culture. Uh, children and parents uh, fits our modern culture. It is uh, uh, application of this passage, though, to contemporary times. It must be done with cautions. Uh, uh, when Paul was writing this in uh, the uh, early uh, first century, uh, slavery was in the in the Ephesian society was was legal. It was a legal institution. Um, there was, uh, uh, there are perhaps uh, some principles that can be applied today, um, and I would be cautious with that, uh, loosely with em- employers and employees. Uh, that's the closest you can come to making a direct application of this in today would be employees and employers, uh, and, uh, and, and, and I, would, I would encourage caution there that there are some principles that can be applied to employee-employer relationships, and I'm sure if you think about it, uh, you, can have a, you can have an employer that's a real tyrant, uh, and uh, you can do your job as unto the Lord uh, with a sincere heart, uh, knowing that this uh, fill-in-the-blanks is not ever going to have any appreciation for what you're doing, uh, but our God in heaven uh, will, and so we can apply it that way. If you uh, if you desire, and you should. All right, some summary points. Why did I go through all the the walk through of the first part to uh, uh, recap what's going on in Ephesians? Because the reason we have to have the broad context for why this instruction was given. This instruction is given to husbands, wives, children, parents, slaves, masters as being an application of the filling of the Holy Spirit and, and walking in subjection to one another. Uh, it's an application of that. So uh, the instructions in the household code are application of Paul's admonition in verses 5, 15, and 16 uh, to make the most out of every opportunity for the days of evil. It says, Therefore be careful how you walk, not as unwise men but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. Uh, and this is accomplished by believers who comprehend and carry out the will of God by enabling, by the enabling power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, verses 17 and 18, 5, 17 and 18. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, with the results that you are speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart, to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to God, even the Father. And be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. So that's all that, and we are working on application to that by doing these things. In all instances in this discussion of the household card, 
household code, instructions are given directly to each party. So we read that. Uh, if you look at the words, uh, it's, a, it's evocative. Wives, when they're addressed. Husbands, when they're addressed. Children, when they're addressed. Fathers, when they're addressed. Slaves, when they're addressed. Masters, when they're addressed. It's talking directly to them, uh, to each party, um, directly. Uh, each party is, as a child of God, responsible to the Lord to obey the instructions. And it's important to look at that as a child of God. Uh, this instruction would mean nothing to an unbeliever. The only thing an unbeliever needs to do is what? Uh, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And then, and then you can work on, on items like this, but an unbeliever would not, uh, would not pay any attention, nor would there, be any, would there be any fruit in them trying to do this because they cannot. Uh, each of us... Uh, as a party on one side of this equation or the other is responsible directly to the Lord to obey the instructions. Uh, I am responsible before God for every decision that I make. Uh, I can't blame anybody else for any of the dumb things I've thought about doing and done in my life. Uh, and uh, uh, I accept that. And we all should be willing to accept that. The responsibility for obedience is irrespective of whether the other party is a believer or not and whether they carry out their responsibility or not. So when the parties being addressed are believers, but the other ones, not necessarily. Uh, we could have a marriage, an unequally yoked marriage, where you have a, uh, a believing wife and an unbelieving husband. Uh, and... Uh, the responsibility for, in that case, subjection is valid whether that husband is a believer or not. And it's also whether they carry out... You know, husbands are, husbands are, are mandated, uh, excuse me, ordered, commanded uh, to love our wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And the wife is supposed to submit whether the husband loves her or not. On the the husband is supposed to love the wife, whether she submits or not. So it's it's we don't worry about what the other one's supposed to do. Our responsibility is to take care of ours. So children obey parents, whether those parents are loving and whether they carry out the responsibility or not. Parents train the children, whether the children are obeying you or not. You can't. Well, maybe in. Uh, in first century Ephesus, they could because a child that cursed or slandered their parents could be stoned to death. All right? I am so thankful we can't do that anymore. Uh, and uh, so re regardless of how the child responds to the instruction and the admonition, it's still to be giving, given in a loving manner. And then employee, we'll, we'll shift off the slave master stuff, employee, employer. Um, as an employer, you're responsible to treating your employees fairly uh, as you would expect to be treated yourself and uh, whether they respond to that or not. And likewise, if you are on the receiving end of that uh, 
So, instructions in the household code are God's instructions for a wise walk of spouses, children, parents, slaves, and masters. So, fulfilling the, uh, uh, the instructions in Ephesians to walk in a manner worthy of the calling, uh, to be filled with the Spirit, with the results that all those things follow, to be in subjection to one another uh, is applicable to all of us as, uh, as believers. And now, how do we do this? Well, you can't unless you're filled by the Spirit. Uh, we can walk in carnality, for instance, or sometimes long periods of time, and uh, we cannot fulfill uh, the response. It says, be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Well, if you're not filled with the Spirit, you can't be expected uh, to do any of the things that are a result of the filling of the Spirit. And what does the filling of the Spirit mean? Uh, It doesn't mean that somebody unscrews the lid on top and pours you full of Holy Spirit. No, it is is the Spirit uh, filling you with the words of Christ. The companion instruction to Ephesians 5.18 is Colossians 3.16, let the words of Christ richly dwell in you. So, as a result of the filling of the Spirit with the Christ indwelling us and us adopting Christ-like thinking, we are better able to consistently carry carry out the exhortations that have been given in the household codes. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me, uh, Christ who strengthens me, and we can. But a converse of that, John 5.15, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. Uh, So we can't do it on our own. We can't do it uh, without Christ. Abiding in Christ is only accomplished through the filling of the Spirit And uh, I'm out of time, and I'm out of material. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, thank you very much for your attention this evening. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you, and we love you, and we thank you for this opportunity to delve for a wee bit into your word. Uh, Pray that uh, your Holy Spirit will uh, uh, make it real, make it understandable, and help us to apply it in our lives so that we can indeed grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to be better equipped to do the work that you have given us to do, that of making disciples. We thank you for this time we have together. We pray for safe travel home this evening, Father, and a return back on Sunday. We lay these things before your throne of grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all.